Welcome to the Missions Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. I'm Alex Kochman here uh, talking to you from ABWE International, and we're back in the saddle here. Scott, it's been a little while. We had a little break in the, the recording schedule for us. Of course, our listeners won't know that, but we tend to do these things in uh, in spurts <laughs> and in chunks, so it's good to be sitting across the table from you. It feels like it's been a while since we've done this. It is, but hopefully no one notices. <laughs> <laughs> well, they will now. But um, hopefully we're not too rusty, right? Uh, And we're excited today to be talking to Charles Smith from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary and also with For the Church, which is one of their arms uh, that's putting out a lot of great content. And uh, Charles, we've had the privilege of interacting, uh, especially a few weeks ago here when you were up in Harrisburg. And you and Scott uh, have a relationship, too. So, Scott, would you uh, be able to introduce Charles to us? Yeah, I appreciate Charles very much. He's always been one of those resources and go-tos for me when I have leadership questions or ministry questions. And um, his idea or his his ministry of For the Church, which is a ministry of, of Midwestern, is certainly something that I've seen characterized not just by him, but by all the leaders there at Midwestern. And I, I have a vested interest in Midwestern because I'm uh, a doctoral student there and uh, have enjoyed that very much. But, but Charles is the vice president of institutional relations um, at Midwestern and co-founder and general editor of For the Church and uh, involved in lots of different areas at Midwestern. But Charles, we're excited to have you on. Welcome to our show. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and maybe explain a little bit of what you're doing at Midwestern? Oh, man, I'd be happy to. And thanks so much for the introduction. Uh, you're right that we, we are friends and uh, it's been fun. I mean, our friendship goes back beyond Midwestern to even uh, days at Southern Seminary and when you were in another ministry context. And it's just been, been a sweet thing to get to know you. So, uh, yeah, it's a pleasure to be here today. So, uh, yeah, I do. I serve as the vice president for institutional relations here at the seminary. The seminary has been around for 60 plus years. It's one of the Southern Baptist seminaries, uh, all of which we're really proud of. I've had the, the benefit of getting to serve at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville. Kentucky and now here for nearly the past six years with Dr. Allen. And uh, we basically are our organization. We have a president and three divisions, uh, three senior leaders. And so I oversee one of those divisions. And our mission is to recruit and retain, to go out and get and keep uh, students, donors and friends. And so uh, we oversee anything from campus life to enrollment, to admissions, to Uh, the events you've mentioned for the church and some other things. So I have a lot of fun doing that, learning a lot. And uh, yeah, it's a good time. And currently you're also in a a program and doing a lot of research and writing on the topic of leadership. And so that's kind of what I want to talk about uh, today because in a mission setting, leadership is really important. And yet it's one of those topics that even though the Bible talks about leadership a lot, as Christians, you know, we hear about servant leadership and humility, and leadership is one of those things that at least the American ideal of leadership almost contradicts our Christian community's ideas of, of, how, of humility and servant, servanthood. And so sometimes we see a, um, a vacuum of leadership, um, especially in Christian ministries, and I would say there's a vacuum of leadership sometimes in the mission world. And so I'd like to explore that topic with you. I know that you've done a lot of research on it. You've been a leader in multiple settings, and so I'd love for to, to just t- discuss that a little bit. And so first of all, um, from your research and reading and, and understanding of the Word of God, what does the Bible say about leadership, and what are some of the misunderstandings maybe that the church has about leadership? 
Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's that's super, super fascinating. And and what you've pointed out is exactly why uh, I'm on the tail end of a PhD in leadership. It's not because uh, I, I like torturing myself with long papers and research. Uh, it's quite the opposite. I'm, I'm very process um, kind of ministry oriented and really like just doing the work and uh, don't enjoy the research as much. But I'm so convinced that we're at a cultural moment that we're about to throw the leadership baby out with the bathwater. And what I mean by that is most of us uh, in culture, apart from the church, just the secular worldview of leadership uh, used to be, you think about the 1930s, 40s, and 50s, and really for most of modern history, leadership is a good thing. Uh, In fact, how we used to teach history uh, was through what was called the great man theory, right? When you would read histories of the um, you know, revolutions in Europe and uh, how, how the American revolution happened, it was always told through these great men, these great leaders. But really, even if you look at how, how history is taught today, it's not taught through great men and women anymore because there's this subtle suspicion of leadership, of institutions, of power even, uh, and for good reason. I mean, you, you think about what's happening uh, politically, religiously, even, even in the Me Too movement that we're seeing really through through all sorts of parts of our culture, but especially in the entertainment community we have good reason to be suspicious of leadership. But I think what people are observing both within and without of the church is that leadership is dangerous and something's really broken about how we're viewing leadership. So leadership is dangerous and and something's broken. And I think what a lot of people are doing unwittingly, albeit, but are, are doing in fact is throwing out leadership with everything else, we're saying, okay, we, we have to actually disregard power, disregard leadership. And there's something broken about stepping out and being ambitious. But the problem with that is that God has something to say about leadership, right? Leadership uh, is often characterized as something that's ah theological or extra biblical. But in fact, the, the Bible is full of commands to lead. Uh, when you think about leadership in in the New Testament, I think you could draw uh, we could draw a line to three different categories of leadership really easily. There's a, there's a lot more, but just think with me really quickly. In the New Testament, we we see leadership as a spiritual gift. So that's one we often go to, and probably what we as Christians think about when we think about the word leadership uh, in a biblical context, we think about places like Romans 12, where Paul says, uh, those that lead, lead with zeal. And what he's doing in that context is working through spiritual gifts. But if you look in the Greek there, what Paul's really talking about is order and management, um, to oversee. The, the literal Greek word means to stand before. And so you have this picture of someone in the body that brings order to chaos, that brings clarity to obscurity, right? But there's this second sense of leadership in the New Testament that what I, what I would call the ecclesial office. And this is really important to those of us that hold a complementarian view uh, of men and women, that, that we would believe that men are uniquely called to lead in a elder or pastor role in the church. And so in that sense, we see in places like First Timothy 3 and Titus 1 that 
that Paul and obviously we would believe God is calling men to lead within the church as overseers, to, to be the key people that are teaching uh, and leading and overseeing in the church. So that's kind of a second way we think about leadership in the New Testament. Uh, there's a third way, which I would call familial leadership or how a man is supposed to lead his wife or even a mother is supposed to lead her children. Uh, but there's several places throughout the New Testament. And obviously these things are also found in the old, but but clearer for us uh, sometimes in the New Testament. But you think about how um, 1 Corinthians 13, or excuse me, I think it's 1 Corinthians 11, for example, would tell uh, husbands to lead their wives. And, and what we're meaning there is that they are to be the, the authority. And that's a controversial uh, position right in the 21st century, even within our own evangelical tribes, that position. But if we understand that a la Ephesians 5, what he's actually calling men to uh, is to die for their wife, to submit to their wives, to be able to do uh, anything for their wives, to bring them closer to Jesus. Um, but that there, again, is a third view of leadership. But one of the things that I feel like we miss, and we often miss these things uh, from a hermeneutic standpoint or from a biblical interpretation standpoint, some things are so obvious in Scripture or so pervasive of themes that they're assumed by biblical authors. They're assumed we understand this. And so I think there's a fourth category, and a lot of my research right now in writing is around this. There's a fourth category of leadership that's that we must see in the Bible, which is what I would call leadership as Christian identity, leadership as Christian identity. And if you have to, uh, or to explain this, you have to first define what we mean by leadership. So if, if you were to read just about any leadership book, that's a secular book, you'll find leadership defined in one or two ways. Uh, one is with the word influence. Uh, you've heard it said that, it, you know, if you're a leader, if you turn around and people are behind you, and that's a legitimate way and, and certainly a common way people would look at leadership. Even people like John Maxwell would define famously leadership with the word influence. But there's another way and another field of leadership that would view it with um, initiative. So not influence, but initiative, the act of stepping out first to walk away from the group, to be the one. Uh, that was courageous enough to take the first step. So initiative. And that's not, again, that's not a bunch of uh, Christians that came up with a cute way to redefine leadership. These are secular and, and, and leading uh, leadership experts from Harvard and Yale and Princeton and MIT even that would define leadership by the one who takes initiative. Is that when you're saying when you're we're talking, I'm so, I don't want to ruin your train of thought there, but I'm just curious the idea of initiative no. is kind of a new thought to me. So is when you're saying leadership as initiative, is that contrary, um, standing kind of against leadership as influence or complementary, or can it be, is it a different type of leadership? Just curious about that. No, that, that is so, so important. And, and that's why this, what may seem like a small thing has massive importance. And so right. think about this. If we define leadership as influence, uh, you know, we're not leading unless we can turn around and see people behind us. And our leadership then logically is defined by the crowd. Right. It's enabled by the crowd. It's justified by the crowd. Well, the problem with that is leadership by definition and this is universal 
uh, clarity on this, is trying to get people to change, trying to get organizations to change, to move from A to B, which involves challenging conversations. People are not at B they're at A <laughs> and they're at A because that's where they want to be right now. And so if you're constantly turning around to see what other people think about your actions, how they're responding to your actions, I'm not saying that's categorically wrong. I'm just saying it shouldn't be the fundamental reason why we do what we do and why we make the decisions we make is because people will follow us. I mean, you think about the implications that has on whether or not we preach the full authority. Uh, and counsel of God, uh, whether or not we preach hard positions, whether or not we even go to hard places where we're likely not to see immediate fruit in our missionary efforts. Well, are those people leading? Well, I would say if you define it by taking initiative for the glory of God and the good of others, absolutely. If you define it with influence and you haven't seen a convert somewhere uh, in in East Asia in five years, despite living there and doing uh, living missionally all day long every day, that's really demoralizing. Uh, and, and that's not our goal is to encourage people. But I would say that person is absolutely leading. Uh, but it just should, this should, their leadership shouldn't be validated by whether or not people are following them. So it's, it can be an implication of leadership, followers and influence, uh, but it shouldn't be the justification of it. I love um, that definition of missions as initiative because I think you're right. I think you hit the nail on the head. I don't know uh, if the average missionary would think of themselves as a leader because it, you, it feels like you're a follower. I mean, you're following Christ, but you're also stepping out. You're alone. You are doing something that nobody else is doing. And if you were to use that sort of John Maxwell definition of leadership and look behind you, you wouldn't see a lot of people following you. Um, but the idea of being the first one to step out and risk, which can potentially influence other people, I, I think that's a really helpful clarification. And, and Scott and I were talking a little bit before we started recording about just the need for strong leaders in the realm of missions. So we did uh, an episode a, a few episodes ago. Uh, with David, whose last name I always butcher um, in Thailand. So help me not butcher his oh, last Joannes. name. Thank yeah. you, Joannes. Um, but uh, we did an episode with him where we talked about, you know, where have all the gritty missionaries go? And sort of like you talk about with history, there used to be this great man approach to history. Um, we've, we've seen the same in missions, too. There used to be this focus on the, the risk-taking, sacrificial missionary who goes, who's willing to die. And it's quickly been downgraded into go and, and try it out and show some love and then come back and have an experience. Uh, and that's not to be down on short-term missions or something like that. But we're, we're at a similar impasse uh, in the missions realm. And, and these you know, large Christian missions institutions need leaders too. So what would be some ways that you see this particularly impacting people uh, who are serving in cross-cultural ministry? Man, Alex, I think you hit on a word that is so pivotal to this entire conversation, uh, which is the word risk. Uh, so if we, man, if we think about taking initiative for the glory of God and the good of others, for most people, even if you're a type A, uh, if you're into the Enneagram, an eight, you know, someone that really likes stepping out and doing hard things and is action based, even for those people, the word taking initiative sounds really scary. 
it, it makes our palms a little sweaty. Why? Because we're, we're, we actually are, in fact, created for community uh, and we're, we're fallen people that are scared. I mean, the, the image of Adam and Eve hiding in the bushes is, is all too familiar for most people's lives uh, because we we are scared to step out. We are scared of exposing ourselves to risk and putting ourselves in a position where we might fail, where we might be exposed uh, as someone that doesn't have it all together. So think about, for example, the first time you were asked uh, to give a public speech, maybe it was at a, a work function or maybe it was your first sermon or leading a small group for the first time. That is a frightening reality for people. Well, why? It's because you're leading, you're stepping out in front of others and you're initiating, right? Uh, but this, this affects so many other things. But if we think about missions or any other leadership um, function where people are stepping out away from the comfort of the group, well, away from the comfort of the status quo, away from even our gifts, Again, so many people that are becoming missionaries are people that are doing something that they're probably successful at right now. Um, I mean, we deal with this at the seminary where people are in class. They have a job at a bank to cover their tuition and they're preparing to go either on the mission field or plant a church or revitalize a church. And so often when we start stepping closer and closer to graduation where they have to make a decision and go they have to go to the mission field or go to the church. There's a lot of fear there, which is understandable because right now things are comfortable. Right now, you think about their identity as a man or woman. They're getting to, to, to prove their value vocationally wherever they're working right now. But now they're, they're having to, by faith, step out and go, God, we're going to trust you for our identity. We're going to trust you for our worth. We're going to trust you to validate uh, who we are as people and what our gifts are. And we're going to put it all on the line and trust you that you're going to make your name great through through our sacrifice on the field or in a church or, or whatever. And so... This is a massive, massive thing. And to your question, how do we get around that? Uh, that is the fundamental leadership question. How do we get people to take initiative for the glory of God and the good of others and overcome the sense of risk and vulnerability and exposure that often keeps us from leading? And what I would say, and this sounds like a big Jesus juke and everybody wants to be gospel centered, but the gospel is the bedrock of Christian leadership. And that shouldn't surprise us. But maybe this gives us a, a new insight on why that is. Uh, when we step out and when we lead, when we take initiative, when we preach that first sermon, when we go to the mission field, or or maybe more appropriate, when we choose to stay on the mission field despite challenging times for our family and perhaps a lack of fruit, the thing that keeps us there is the reality that through the blood of Jesus and by faith, uh, we have become sons and daughters of a good, good father that loves us, that knows us by name, uh, that promises to provide and protect and care for us. And so it's that reality, it's sonship and adoption. Those two doctrines, believe it or not, I, I would argue have more to do with leadership than all the books of some secular leadership author, which are all good and helpful. And I'm not not maligning, but my point is the fundamental thing that's going to keep you on the field or send you to it is the reality that God is who he says he is. You are who he says you are, and he will keep you 
in this life and in the next. And that that gives us the courage we need to push past our fear, to take initiative, to expose ourselves to risk and vulnerability um, like never before. So those things matter. If I was leading a missionary agency or, or leading a church where I was trying to encourage people to go to the field or to do anything that God's calling us to do that's hard, uh, the gospel is obviously where we want to start and end. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I don't think that's too much of a cop out to say that the gospel is at the center of it. Um, but there, there's a more technical question, which uh, I, I'd love to pick your brain about, too, uh, as you sort of went through those different biblical types of leadership that we see discussed in the New Testament, familial leadership, um, church leadership, church office. Um, and a question you know that I would have is there's some conversation in the missions realm about, and, and you're familiar with it, too, um, sodality versus modality. And uh, specifically, the, that would be uh, ecclesiological uh, groups, church groups, uh, the local church as it's formally, formally instituted in the New Testament versus um, a, a group that is more volunteer based, like Paul's band of missionaries. Uh, so uh, Ralph Winter would be one that uh, popularizes this distinction here. And, and in some of these writings that, that I read among uh, missiological authors, um, the, the two are treated as the same thing. Um, so in, in other words, they would say just as the local church is an organism that exists that's instituted by God, they would, they would say Paul's missionary team is, is just as much a formal institution as is the local church. And so as you, as you look through the New Testament pages, um, you know, there's a lot of questions about organizational structure and, and legitimacy. You know, it's the, it's the job of the local church to advance the mission of God. We believe that we're all, uh, I, I think all three of us were, you know, we're churchmen, we're, we're local church focused. Obviously you, you're a general editor of, for the church. Uh, and yet there's so much going on in the realm of, you know, whether you want to compare it to Paul's uh, missionary team, his traveling companions, uh, if you want to talk about modern parachurch mission agencies, where do they fit into all of this? Um, what are some governing leadership principles for them that you would pull out of the New Testament? And uh, what, what, what principles do you think govern uh, the interaction between the church and parachurch organizations and individual leaders uh, as they think through missions? Because obviously it's too big for local churches to do by themselves. But I think this is one area where the conversation in missiology has, uh, th th there's a distance between that and the conversations that we would have in, in theological realms about what is the local church. Yeah, man, that's so good. Well, it sounds like you have two questions. So let me start with the kind of the ecclesiological one first. Uh, obviously, if you know anything about Midwestern, we exist for the church. That is, in fact, in our, in our logo, on our byline, we, we are for the church. And I don't think you'll hear anything different from, as you've pointed out, any of the three of us here. Christ died for the church. He didn't die uh, for Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary or any other non-church entity. He died for his bride. And so those of us that lead parachurch ministries and ministries that serve the church in so much as we're serving the church and coming alongside the bride of Christ, we have a justification to exist. Uh, in so much as we stop doing that, we we increasingly don't. Right. And so uh, whether it's uh, you guys as a missionary agency or the IMB or us as a seminary, uh, we're constantly should be asking ourselves 
uh, how are we serving the church? And even more crucially, that's kind of nuanced, uh, in what way are we enabling the church to not do what the church should do? Right. And so that's a that's a, a conversation for another day. But those are two things that ought to be on the forefront of our minds. So as you guys are thinking about missions and who, you know, I've, I've read David Sills on this, um, you know, who should be at the forefront of, of some of the, the leading missionary uh, endeavors. I think clearly the church uh, is ideal. Uh, churches sending missionaries and even churches once on the ground in an unreached area. Ideally, there's a church there and there's a theological reason for that, which I've just explained. But there's also a practical reason for that, which pertains to leadership. So the practical reality, and this is this is my conviction, uh, is that as we lead and especially in the church and those of us that are in leadership positions in the church, we're actually not supposed to be doing the ministry. <laughs> we're, we want to do that. We want to be faithful and pastors are still called to evangelize and, and live out uh, their life as Christians, but their role as a pastor and our roles as seminaries and uh, missionary agencies is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. We're actually in the in the business of equipping people to carry on what uh, we should be doing and what we're called to do. And so, I think as as missionary agencies and missionaries on the ground, one of the first things I would be thinking about. Uh, if I landed in a new area where I was supposed to engage as a missionary is leadership development. How will this exist beyond me, broader than me, deeper than me? Uh, obviously, how are, are people that are local and natives uh, able to uh, understand the culture and what we're trying to do in better ways? They have uh, local resources and access to things that that we wouldn't have, and so leadership development has a massive uh, part in that. And and uh, there's a there's a lot of ways we could go in this. I mean, we could talk about the practical implications of of how you develop leaders. But one of the things, back to that definition of leadership, one of the things I, I think that matters so much. I mean, you think about Matthew twenty eight eighteen. Uh, go therefore is is ultimately a call to lead for the glory of God and the good of others. And if we're reminded that the definition there is taking initiative, the call is to buy faith, to go, to act. Uh, and it's not about our influence. It's not about how people follow. Uh, that should have a massive impact on what we're doing, right? Yeah. And I, I love the way that you answer that, which is that Christ did die for the church because um, I, I, I think this is important to bring up because for some reason, when uh, you, you look into some of the conversation that happens in the missiological community, there's a downgraded ecclesiology there. There's a, a sense of, um, and, and this is more of a pejorative, but the idea of, you know, we're just starting Bible studies in base uh, in basements, <laughs> you know, kind of, we're just, what is a church? It's just grouping people together, you know, in a house here or under a tree here. And not that you need a building, not that you need a steeple, not, not that you need, you know, those sorts of external things. Um, but, uh, having a, having a solid view of the local church in missions where the goal is church planting, the goal is, uh, churches that are biblically led where leaders are being trained. Uh, it's not just enough to gather a few believers together. Um, so even though you do have these volunteer based, you know, parachurch organizations all the way from acts with Paul's volunteer crew, you know, his traveling companions to modern agencies that exist. Now, the goal is always to feed the church. The church is God's ordained institution for that. 
Yeah, no, that's exactly right. One of the things um, you may be surprised to hear me quote Andy Stanley on this podcast, <laughs> but uh, Andy Stanley has a leadership podcast, and I think it's actually really good. And uh, one of the things that I think he has said that's that's appropriate here is he talks about strategic absence. Uh, he calls it strategic absence, and, and here's what he means by this. He says that as the the kind of head pastor or elder uh, there at the church that and just given his platform and size and the oxygen he takes out of the room when he enters a room, he's got to be really mindful that he doesn't get in the habit of doing a particular job for too long. Let's say, for example, if he gets into really evaluating the worship music for a quarter, you know, for, so for two or three months, every after service uh, meeting where they're evaluating the service, he's talking about that a lot. He's getting really involved. Well, ultimately, what will happen is the worship team will start carving out a position for him. Now, that won't happen formally. They're not going to bestow a new title on him. But what you'll see, if we had lenses to see culture changing, we would notice that people on the worship team will stop initiating in places. Why? Because they know Andy Stanley's uh, may have an opinion about that. And so they're going to learn to defer to Andy. Uh, they're, they're going to fundamentally and ultimately stop leading to the extent they used to have to because he wasn't a part of that conversation. Now, why do I say that? I think that matters to us as leaders, whether it, we're in a seminary context or whether we're missionaries trying to establish leaders uh, in some far off place. If we as the missionaries, if, if we as Paul's team, as you put it, um, for too long do the work that the church should be doing, do the work that people in that context should be doing, what you'll slowly do is atrophy that group. And instead of calling them out to take initiative and to step forward and to do hard things, they'll slowly and subtly and maybe even imperceptibly learn that they don't have to because you're still here and the resources are still here uh, and you make all, all the hard decisions. They don't have to make the hard decisions. And so as leaders and missionaries, I think we have to ask, at what point is our help hurting at what point are we actually preventing people from leading? And in my experience, and some of this is just my personality, but people are far more capable of leading and doing hard things than we give them credit for. And I think if we believe God deserves all the glory, he the, he's the only one that can do the work anyway. We, we can't push people into heaven. Uh, then it frees us to let people on the ground or on our teams at a seminary have way more responsibility to lead far earlier than we normally would because we're both we believe they're capable of it. And two, we believe that if we stay in that place too long, we the leader or we the, the missionary that's there to help establish a church, if we stand in that place that they should be standing in for too long, uh, that we actually we actually develop an unhealthy environment where leadership uh, is is not promoted. It's actually uh, prevented because the leaders there or the missionary is there for too long. So I think that's something we have to keep in mind as we lead and send missionaries. So, so it's just shifting um, focus just for a second. We've been talking about those who are leaders and, and really identifying that as Christians, we all can lead in some ways. But 
So, so when we're talking about formal leadership here for a second, um, what would be your be it, what would your advice be to maybe a young man or woman who's le- listening to the podcast has some aspirations for leadership in, in some more formal ways, maybe on the mission field or maybe in their local church or maybe it's in their job. Um, what are some ways that a young leader can can invest in themselves uh, to grow as a leader and some of the the skills necessary and experience necessary for effective leadership? Yeah, that's so good. Well, th- there's several things. And one, obviously, I'm arguing that that we're all called to lead. And from that, um, you know, we ask them, what does that look like? Because that's really easy to go, OK, we're all called to lead. But the question of the day is, what does that look like? How do we do that? How does one go about doing that? Because as much as we say leadership is taking initiative for the glory of God and the good of others, it does also include influence. And what do we do with that influence? How do we deal with people? How do we organize them? How do we manage them? And when people ask about leadership, that's most often uh, what they want to talk about. And for good reason, because those are those are really difficult things. So I think as I would, you know, I teach leadership here at the seminary. Uh, I, I love developing young men and women. And when we talk about it, we talk about it kind of in two spheres, one leading self and leading others. So leading oneself and leading others and the leading oneself is, you know, a lot of times in, in, in our tribes, when you hear that, I think we immediately check out and go, oh, gosh, she's going to talk about character. And, you know, of course, and that's kind of a given thing. Well, I want to push back on that a little bit and say, well, first of all, of course, we're talking about character. <laughs> God talks about character. God talks about integrity. And those things matter because he says they matter. But there's also a pragmatic end to those things that maybe I can talk about here for a second. So, again, please don't hear me say character integrity don't matter. I'm saying they matter and, you know, deeply, deeply, deeply. And they matter first and foremost because God says they do and God's a holy God and, and we should be likewise. But it also matters in, in our leadership because as leaders, fundamentally what we are about is trust. We are the people that take the first step. We take initiative. We step off the proverbial cliff and we turn around to the people behind us and say, hey, you can do it too. follow me. So that's what's happening when we share the gospel. Half step off the cliff. Jesus caught me. Now you're turning around going, hey, this is what God did in my life and he will catch you, too. But that's also what we do when we we start a new seminary or a new organization or, or go to a new mission field. We're asking people to trust us. And if we're not men and women of integrity and demonstrable integrity, uh, people that have demonstrated character, we will very quickly be bankrupt of trust. And if we're bankrupt of trust, we're bankrupt of our ability to lead people. So. Again, back to the two two categories, leading self. Leading self matters uh, more than anything else. And if we don't get that right, we started this conversation talking about how leaders have let us down. I mean, just in the last few weeks, uh, we've had massive uh, scandals in the Christian leadership world. We've had them in the political world, good grief, weekly, in the entertainment world, weekly. And I think what we're seeing is we've, as leaders, immediately jumped to the leading others category and not stopped first and acknowledged the importance of the leading self. So what that would look like for folks that I'm developing is um, things that would not surprise you. 
uh, spiritual disciplines, being in the word, memorizing scripture, meditating deeply on who God is and who he says you are, as we talked about earlier. But another part of self-leadership is thinking soberly about who we are. Paul talks about in Romans 12 to think think soberly is what what the, the Greek says there uh, about who you are. And what Paul means is not that we should have a frown on our face as we think about ourselves, but who are we? Who has God made us to be? He seems to be outlining gifts that we all have. And so we should think rightly and soberly and clearly about who God made us to be. Did he make us a leader or did he make us uh, a prophet and a teacher or uh, all these other things that Paul's outlining there? So in the self-leadership category, we're, we're getting close to Jesus and we're asking him and others that we're in community with, hey, what do you see? that God has gifted me with and how might I use that for his glory and as a leader. Uh, the second category is leading others. Uh, and that's where there's a thousand resources out there um, that I actually think this is the really easy part of leadership. I think the self-leadership part is where I want to camp out with guys because the leading organizationally, I think you can, you can teach that. And uh, a couple books I'd recommend. I mean, if there's if there's one book on how do I lead people, how do I lead a group or how do I lead a new people group to, to do something different or to, to establish a church or something, I would recommend John Cotter's book, Leading Change. Uh, John Cotter's book, Leading Change. So John Cotter uh, was famously st still at Harvard. He oversees an organization called Cotter International. Uh, but that book has been around, has sold millions of copies. It's not a Christian book, uh, but it, it is a foundational book in leadership theory. It's a lay level book. Anybody can read it and understand it, but he's walking you through how do we take a group of people or, or an organization from A to B? And that includes how do we do meetings? How do we vision cast? Uh, who are the right people to get involved? What do you do with people that don't want to get involved? Uh, and how do we make sure that this continues to exist after we're out of the picture, which are all important aspects of that? So, so leading self, leading others, and in that leading others category would be John Cotter and leading change. Yeah, I appreciate it. He, he's written a number of leadership books and books on, on some other topics that all of them I've found have been um, the ones I've read. I don't want to imply that I've read everything by, that Cotter's written, but fantastic stuff. Yeah. Um, so I'm just curious, yeah. too, and I, I realize you need to, we need to let you go here in a second, but, but you, know, we, you, you highlighted more than once, and I think all of our minds go to this. And, and it's part of, I think, why this generation struggles with leadership as well is, is – how, how can leaders protect themselves from failure? Um, not, not failure in the sense of, you know, hey, I was leading this organization and it, it closed. Um, uh, but, but failure in the sense of moral failure or integrity failure. What are some of the things that you're, that you're growing in and that you, as you challenge young leaders, um, and even just advice that you know from Scripture that can help us as leaders to say, hey, let, these are some barriers that we're putting in our lives to protect ourselves um, in our integrity and in our purity and our well, character. Yeah. Yeah. It's such an important thing. And as you've, as you've heard me say, and I'll reiterate just quickly is I think we're seeing men and women fall around us at a, what appears to be an increasing rate is because fundamentally we have a broken view of leadership. 
we, we have a view of leadership that says we have to be perfect. We have to be stronger. We have to have all the answers. Uh, we have to be right. We have to be on all the time. Uh, and that that is could not be uh, more divided from what we see in Scripture. Uh, in Scripture, we say Paul things or see the Apostle Paul say things like it's through my brokenness and through my weakness that you're made strong. So if we see we see our role as Christians and just our role as humans as to be dependent creatures uh, that look to God for everything, for our worth and our identity and our value, then that fundamentally shifts how we lead. Now, that, I get that that is the hardest thing in leadership, but here's how this looks practically. I think if you're leading a team, so let's say you're leading a team or five or seven or eight people, they need to know that you're broken. And that doesn't need to look like faux vulnerability. Uh, I don't think you have to overshare this doesn't look like, you know, within a week of a new job, you're telling everyone every dirty secret <laughs> out there. <laughs> but I think people on your team ought to be able to smell weakness. And the reason that's important is because if you do that and you position yourself in that way, and, and the only reason you can do that with any kind of authenticity is through the Holy Spirit and through your awareness of who you are in Christ and who he is. But when you do that, a shift happens. And it's a shift that looks like this. It looks like we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to have all the answers. We don't have to protect ourselves. And those are all the things that lead us to isolation. It leads us to burnout. It leads us to um, ultimately not being known by people around us. And we know what that does, right? We're, we're created in God's image to be in community and, and to know and be known by other people. And so when we set up the cards where we have to be perfect, we set up an impossible situation in which we can never have true friendships, right? Because to be truly friends with someone, to be truly in community with someone means they know us, both the good and the bad, the, the light and the shadows. And so I think we've got to first and foremost understand leadership is actually there's power in our weakness. Scott Sauls just wrote a powerful, powerful book that I can't recommend enough called From Weakness to Strength, From Weakness to Strength. And he just outlines this whole reality, which is counterintuitive. The weaker we are, the weaker we are. The more aware of that we are and the more open we are with people around us, actually, the more they want to lead, the more they want to know us, the deeper the friendships become. And so I think this ultimately comes down to whether or not we're in community and how we see uh, leadership. And if we see leadership as uh, we're actually the, the weakest one, we're just the one that by God's grace stepped out first. That's only the only thing that makes us different. Uh, and if we see ourselves in that way, then that allows us to enter into community with people, bearing our weaknesses um, and, and letting them carry some of those things. And I think that will prevent ultimately some of the things we're seeing. Practically speaking, uh, we do things like on our team, uh, things that have been really helpful to us. And, and again, I'm assuming all the, the spiritual disciplines and all those things. Let's assume those for this conversation. Uh, beyond all that, we've done things and been helped by doing Enneagram profiles, for example, uh, where we get a better understanding of who we are and how we operate on a team. And why that matters is 
In fact, I had lunch with a pastor yesterday who was just struggling. And I said, hey, what, what does that look like with you and your elders? And he said, well, because we know each other so well and they know what burnout looks like for me, they know what stress looks like for me. They're able to ask me hard questions and they're able to see things uh, when other people can't see them. So we, we've been helped by some of those tools. Uh, I've been helped by just spending a lot of time with our guys. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of things there that have been really helpful for us, but I think we can have internet filters. We can have, all sorts of tools around us. But I think fundamentally, if we're distracted about who God is and who who we are and what leadership is and what those two realities uh, mean for that field, uh, we will constantly be chasing death, which is a scary thing. I mean, we again, we started this conversation saying culture and the church are both observing rightly that leadership is dangerous. And it, it is very dangerous. And we're at risk of confusing that the reason we took initiative is may still be for the glory of God and the good of others, but it's because of something special about us. And the truth is, there's nothing special about us other than God, for whatever reason, chose to love us, chose to give us gifts. But we run the risk of, in the words of Russell Moore, confusing ourselves with our gifts and I think that's the fundamental leadership challenge is remembering that these are gifts. We're not special. We're not unique. Um, there's actually a deeper responsibility on us. And we're to steward that, not not promote that for our glory. Well, and that's super encouraging. Thank you for sharing all of that. And even I'm thinking for someone listening, if you're thinking about whether or not you're called to missions or some sort of uh, church leadership or, or ministry leadership, maybe it's not which one, maybe it's both because leadership is a responsibility and a gift set that, that we're all called to take seriously. And uh, that's especially true uh, in, in cross-cultural mission, where sometimes there's a, a leadership vacuum. So thank you so much for sharing today, Charles. And uh, obviously people can go to For the Church, uh, FTC, uh, is it dot, dot .co, is that right? Yeah, ftc.co, or if you want to go to Midwestern's website, it's mbts.edu. You can find me both there. And, uh, man, we'd love to have any students or love to just have uh, folks read that website. It's all free and meant to be an encouragement to the church, including missionaries. And, uh, yeah, check it out. And is there a particular place where they can get more if they just want to hear from you specifically or anything you've specifically done on leadership? Man, that's great. That's great. Yeah, there's some stuff at For the Church, FTC.co. I have a personal site, which is just charlesmith.com. Uh, uh, that you can go to as well. So any of those vehicles would be great. I'm not writing a ton. I'm mostly busy here uh, on the administrative side, but those are two places. I'm amazed that there were no other Charles Smiths in the world that you were able to get that domain name. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, I am too. I am too. Yeah, there's an old Georgetown point guard named Charles Smith, uh, but he must not be blogging. So and it, and just That's in, right. it's, important, it's important to know that Alex did win uh, the word of the day uh, by the dropping of sodality Thank you. a conversation. So if, uh, <laughs> if there's I was a, getting nerdy, Alex gets a prize for dropping the word of the day into the conversation. I, but anyway, I like it. I like. It. I knew. I knew what he was talking about. 
<laughs> I had to look it up. I'm going to admit it. I, Alex is a nerd. You're so. talking, and, and in the meantime, in the studio here, Charles Scott's like whispering to me, like you're a nerd. It was <laughs> it was a great moment. It was great. Oh, well, thanks awesome. so much for joining us. Thank you so much for uh, being here today, and uh, we look forward to connecting with you and some others soon at uh, T4G. Scott, Alex, this has been a joy. I appreciate what you guys are doing, and I look forward to seeing you then, okay? Cool. All right, take care. Thank you. If you want to get more great content on theology, missions, and practice, go to missionspodcast.com. And while you're there, make sure that you subscribe in iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite listening platform. And please make sure that you also give us an honest review and a five-star rating. And please don't forget to be sending your questions to alex at missionspodcast.com, along with any other ideas for future episodes. Until next time, thank you for joining us.